On this episode of AvTalk, we welcome back CNN Aviation Editor John Ostrauer to discuss the surprise ruling by the ITC in the Boeing Bombardier C-Series tariff case. We round up some news from the past few weeks, and we answer the age-old question, how many plumbers does it take to fix a broken lavatory? Hello and welcome to episode 24 of AvTalk. I am Ian Pechnik here with... Jason Rabinowitz. Hello again. Hello, hello. It's been an interesting week. Well, week and, week and a half, I guess, in aviation. Some some big news. Some maybe. pretty huge news that I huge don't news. think anyone saw coming, but we'll, we'll, should we should we preview it now or get to it later? Well, I think we should preview it now because I, I, I feel like people are going to be listening. Are they going to talk about it? Yes, we're going to talk about it. Okay. Well, the big news you probably all already know what we're talking about is Bombardier wins, Boeing loses. And no one saw it coming. No. What was it? Like five o'clock last Friday, I think it was, that the or that the ITC, <laughs> I think it was unanimously decided that, uh, you know, those tariffs we were going to put on the, the Bombardier C-Series, something about 300%. Yeah, forget it. We're not doing that. Basically, that the Bombardier had caused no harm to to Boeing, and, and therefore, you know, no tariffs, no no nothing. We're going to talk a lot more in depth about what this means for Bombardier, what it means for the C series, what it means for Boeing, what it means for Mobile, Alabama, and what it means for Airbus, which, in the midst of all this, struck a deal with Bombardier to acquire the C series line. So we're going to bring in. For not yeah, for, I think it was I think I think they paid a dollar. Oh, but we're going to bring in John Ostrauer, who's been on the program before and talked about this with us before. John is CNN's aviation editor, and he's been following this very very closely. And so we're going to bring him in and ask him all sorts of questions and and really figure out what this means for for everyone. We'll throw Embraer into the mix too. What it means for Embraer? Yeah. In the meantime, we should talk about some plumbers. We should talk about some toilets. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, weird. Segway that for me. Yeah, I, I, I don't think there's really any way to segue that other than, hey, this week there were 85 plumbers on a single plane and they were flying from Oslo to Munich and they had to go back to Oslo because the toilets broke. No, you, you just can't script that kind of thing. That, that's the only – that's the kind of thing that can only happen in real life. Oh, yeah. I, <laughs> and so we – we posted that, and you know the number one response was, "Is this real? Are you guys joking?" That's what I said. Yeah, no, and and it was, it was. We 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 sourced it back to you know Norwegian newspapers, and there's apparently some sort of very large plumbing conference or <laughs> or trade show in, in Munich, and so there were on a, on a seven thirty seven, you know that holds roughly what a hundred and I think Norwegians hold what a hundred and seventy five yeah, something like ish. That. So, I mean, you know, a, a good – almost half of the uh, passengers, assuming the flight was full, were plumbers. I think that the winning quote goes to – my Norwegian's a little rusty, so I'm exact, unclear exactly who he was, but a, a manager or, or an executive at the the plumbing company said, you know, we, we were more than happy to try and go fix it, but apparently sending someone out at, at – you know, thirty-five thousand feet is not a not a solid idea. Yeah, it turns out your average seven thirty-seven laboratory and toilet system is not the same that you might find in a house somewhere. So they turned back, 
landed in Oslo, got everything fixed and, and took off from Munich and, and everybody made it safely to the to the plumbing trade show with a I think a rather good story. That's a fantastic story. I, I hopefully they didn't miss too much information at the plumbing convention, but this I, is a, a yeah. story they won't soon be uh forgetting. And and it wasn't the first time this week that that plumbing had been an issue on a flight. There was an Air Canada flight from Vancouver to Orlando that had to turn back because the toilets had stopped working. So it's, you know, not a common occurrence, but it happens from time to time. So many jokes to be made, but we must move on. I think before any of the jokes are made, we, we should absolutely move on to congratulating Boeing, their FAA certification of the 787-10. So the government giveth, the government taketh away when it comes to uh, Boeing this week. But this is this is good, and I think the first commercial operator of the Dash Ten is going to be Singapore. That is correct. Ah, yeah, ah, yeah. Excellent. They're they're going to take delivery next month or the month after. It, it's you know the first quarter of, of twenty eighteen. So we're we're closing in on the uh, we're closing in on it. And it looks good too. It does. It it is a good looking plane. I still think that the the nine is is the right seven eight seven. If that makes any sense. Yeah, I I think the the eight. There's a consensus out there that it's a bit stubby. It's going to be. It's going to end up me, in in yeah. the the history books as kind of the the seven six seven two hundred. Just short, stubby, not around as long as it's. Uh, bigger brother. I think. I I was that that was exactly what I was going to say. I mean, Which, I, I think that. The seven six seven two hundred comparison. Yeah, and, and the way the Dash Ten is trending, it's not as popular as its smaller sibling, the Dash Nine, and kind of ended up that same way with the seven six seven. That the the two hundred was short and phased out, and the four hundred never really gained any popularity at all outside of two airlines. So it's kind of history repeating itself. Yeah, I mean, I think that the Dash Ten will be more popular than the four hundred, but. The seven six seven four hundred. Yeah, hard but not yeah, to be. I, I, well, yeah, I, I think that that that's an interesting comparison, though, because it it'll be it's going to be interesting to see how Emirates really puts the Dash Ten into service as as they kind of thin some of their their routes where they're you know the A three eighty or the the triple seven three hundred ER is is too much airplane. Yeah, that's uh, your typical Emirates problem: too much airplane, but. We'll see what happens when they get the Dash 10 a more, like, what do they call it, right-sized aircraft? Yes, the right-sized aircraft. So that'll be interesting. And we should also talk about the A350-1000, which is you know the other long new airplane. Qatar suppo- was supposed to take delivery. Then they were supposed to take delivery again. Now they're supposed to take delivery early next month. Yeah, where it was supposed to—I believe it was originally December of 2017. I, I think it was originally October. Oh well, then it was December. Now it's looking <laughs> like February, and like we've seen time after time with some of the more complex aircraft interiors that this new Q suite interior for Qatar is proving more difficult than they like to install, which is not. Terribly surprising because uh, Qatar's CEO Akbar Al Baker is one of the most discerning men in, in probably the world. So if it is not completely perfect, he will reject it, and he has before. So Airbus given, wants to given get this your right. history with that gentleman and and your personal interaction with him, I just want to congratulate you on being as as polite as you were using the word discerning. 
there's something to be said. Why should you spend many, many tens or hundreds of millions of dollars on an aircraft to have the interior look like crap when you take delivery? You want, I, if I were paying that, I would want it to be perfect. I, I'm not saying that he's wrong in that regard. I'm, I'm just saying I, I am proud of you for using a very polite Thank word. Thank you. There, there are many words you could use to describe Akbar al-Baker, but in this respect, I think he's completely right. It's only going to get worse from day one delivery, so you might as well start out at perfect. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I guess that's that's a very good way to look at it. Uh, it's amazing how quickly these interiors kind of get destroyed. Turns out when you put people in an airplane, they kind of uh, yeah uh, use it. I don't know what other words, way to put Jason, it. True words. <laughs> no, I, I get I get what you're saying. I mean, you know, it's the, there are so many so many interesting factors that go into using things, especially you know the beatings that you think you know business class and and people are very you know respectful of things, you know, and then you look at the actuality of things and you talk to people who work on these seats and all the things that they find in them, you know, the, the amount of, the amount of smartphones that get lost every year in business class seats amazes me. And if that ever happens, please don't recline your seat. Find the phone first because your phone will legitimately erupt into a ball of flames. Yeah. Not, not good. No, I actually saw a video of that today of, of, uh, just on Reddit, someone puncturing a a lithium ion battery in their phone and the thing, the thing goes off. Yeah. Yeah. It's not good. Not no that which is you know all the all the more reason to you know that they're trying to cut down on the number of lithium ion batteries on airplanes overall. So stay tuned next month. Maybe uh, the first will be delivered. Maybe not. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. It keeps keeps moving back. But another new Airbus airplane got kind of a workout. Was it last last week? Last Monday. Yeah. Wow sent an A three twenty one Neo from Reykjavik to Los Angeles. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Eight hours and 40 minutes. So it's not supposed to serve that route. That route is supposed to be operated by one of WOW's A330s, which unfortunately had some sort of issue and was grounded at LAX. So rather than canceling the flight or pulling a Norwegian and and leasing some high-fly A340 or some crap like that, they decided we've got these brand new A321 Neos that can fly seemingly forever. So let's send it to LA and that they did. And this isn't even one of the LRs. No, this is just a straight up A321neo. Now, I'm assuming I asked the airline and they very rudely never replied to my email, but I'm assuming that they had to limit the number of seats that they could actually sell on board this aircraft, but we don't have any confirmation of that. Yeah, it was that was a question that went unanswered on our end too. So maybe we'll find out one day. Yeah, but, I, I uh, talked to some people who probably have a good idea of what happened that they probably limited the payload from your typical A321 layout to maybe an A320's worth load of passengers. That's if it was even, you know, a sold out flight. So there may have been 30 people on it for all we know, but that is a seriously long flight on a narrow body aircraft. Yeah, I I mean, I guess if things are, you know, if things are limited and everyone gets at their own row, then it becomes a different story. But I mean, if you're sitting in a, you know, a packed plane, which obviously this one wasn't, but even if you still have, you know, seatmates, I don't know, that seems like a long way to go. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of back and forth about this too, that the the 321 has wider seats than your typical 
Boeing 777 or your 787. So it, it might actually have been more comfortable than a wide body sure. aircraft. But this aircraft is not designed to fly uh, – the interior of that aircraft in particular is not designed to fly nine hours. So <laughs> Yeah. I mean it, the issue is not you know the aircraft itself. I mean of course that could make it. They wouldn't have done it if they thought they couldn't do it. If they had calculated it and said, no, it's not going to work, they wouldn't have done it. But they did calculate it. They figured it out. They made it. That's not the question. The question is whether you would want to sit on the inside. And, yeah. I, and I guess that really boils down to you know the airline, their interior, and then you know just how many people are on the plane. Yeah, it's just amazing how efficient these new aircraft are. They're typically regarded as your like domestic or regional aircraft, and it's flying an actual transatlantic near polar flight. Yeah, yeah, quite the quite the adventure. Speaking of adventures, we have an update on our, our Pegasus 737 who almost had a very terrible adventure. It will be turned into cans. Oh, sad panda. Yeah. I guess the, the idea was that they, they thought about repairing it. Then, you know, of course, they, they lifted it off the, the side of the, the cliff and brought it up and, and took a look at it again and, and said, no, not so much. And from what I was reading, it, it Sounds like a big part of the decision was the facility, the lack of facilities to repair the aircraft there. Yeah, where was this again? Trabzon, Turkey. Oh, sure, definitely. Yeah, if you have to rebuild the seven thirty seven anywhere, why not there? Right. So, I mean, that, that was I, I think one of the one of the overriding factors in the decision to just scrap the aircraft. So it'll be interesting to see how it get. I mean, if if they don't have the facilities to repair it, they obviously don't have you know regular old aircraft scrapping facility so it'll be interesting to see what like do they take it apart in pieces do they cut it up what happens where does right. it get dropped they, off to probably just throw it on a barge and take it somewhere else to get that done yeah just roll it down the cliff and just <laughs> yeah, leave finish it. the roll down the hill yeah i'm solved but it was never really a, a matter of if they can fix it it's do they want to pay to fix it you can fix anything if you throw well, enough exactly. cash at it yeah i mean you know there there were there have been a number of aircraft that we've seen and they said, yeah, we're going to fix them. And then there were a couple others where, you know, it was like, that doesn't seem so bad. And they were like, no, we're just going to write it off. And we still don't know why they went left instead of right and went down a hill and almost into the ocean. But I guess we'll find out in due course eventually. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll find out and, and you know, discuss that when, when it happens. Yeah, no, I mean, no more info other than we're not going to see that plane fly ever again. Nope. How old was it? It wasn't even that old, right? I think it, it was, was three years. Not that old. I don't have it pulled up. The age of the aircraft pulled up, but it, it was not. It was not terribly old. Too bad. But there's plenty of other seven seven three seven eight hundreds in the sky, so they'll find another one. What say you? We take a quick break and bring John in so that we can talk about Bombardier, the C series, Boeing, Airbus, Embraer, all that good fun stuff. This is gonna be fun. <laughs> this is going to be fun. So we'll take a, a quick break and we'll be back with John Ostrauer, CNN's aviation editor, right after this. And we are back with John Ostrauer, CNN's aviation editor, to talk about what happened last week in a surprising, surprising ITC ruling that Boeing was not harmed by Bombardier and that there will be no tariffs in the U.S. on the C-Series. John, welcome to the program. And real quick, 
how on a scale of huh to what how surprised huh? were you i was extremely surprised first off thank you guys for having me back i always enjoy chatting with you guys about the goings on in this business it was an incredibly incredibly surprising turn of events from boeing to bombardier everywhere in between in the uk in canada all over the place everyone expected bombardier to lose it was far from a foregone conclusion, but the reality was that that there were stories in advance of this unanimous vote in Bombardier's favor coming out of Canada saying Canada expected to lose. So whether Justin Trudeau you know, ended up more surprised than he thought he was going to be, but the bottom line is that this was cruising in one direction and totally went in another. And yes, the, the tariffs do not look like they're going to be they're they're not going to stick. So we now have a, a commerce department that has been checked by the ITC. So here we are. Bombardier is still kicking, and Boeing says they're going to keep an eye on things and review what the ITC formally says uh, on February first when it makes its official ruling. So we'll get some more detail around that. So what did the process look like here? The Commerce Department recommended this 300% tariff on the C-Series and then the ITC kind of said, no, we don't agree with that and voted unanimously. Or what was the dynamic between the departments there? Yeah. So so there are two pieces here. There's, there's the decision by the Commerce Department to take up a trade enforcement action and around the price dumping at uh, the alleged price dumping at Delta and also the subsidies and their harm against against Boeing. They said, okay, based on what we've seen, based on hearings that we've held, based on on information that's been supplied by the parties, we believe that that there are you know number one, there was a reasonable threat of harm, which is what the ITC decided just in terms of getting things going. And then the the Commerce Department said, hey, you know, we've determined that there was was a violation here of US of US trade policy. And therefore we are recommending this 292% pair of 292% tariffs on on Bombardier. And in doing that, that cannot happen without an additional check. And that check is the International Trade Commission, which is a quasi-judicial body, which is actually not part of the Commerce Department. It is its own own, uh, entity and acts separately to affirm or shoot down the, the decisions that uh, the Commerce Department has made. So effectively, what we've seen here is a a genuine check on what has been a, a very, very zealous U.S. Commerce Department when it comes to bringing new trade actions against everything from solar panels to washing machines to, you know, n- flammable polyester. I mean, I think that was one the other day. So they, they've, they've, they're up about 60% in terms of the number of trade enforcement actions compared to the Obama administration. So the process kind of converges on, again, they can't just levy these, these tariffs without the ITC determining whether or not there, in fact, there was harm. Had there been harm, these would have moved to a finalization process, and then there would have been instruction given to Customs and Border Patrol upon import of each C-Series to collect a duty of around 300% on the price of the airplane. So is this final now, or does Boeing have a chance to appeal it somehow? There are appeals. There is an appeals process. There are two routes for an appeal. There is one in U.S. federal court, 
And then the other appeal is actually through NAFTA. And the consensus among trade experts is that Boeing would probably fare better in an appeal in U- in a U.S. federal court than in under a, um, a NAFTA panel reviewing this. Interestingly enough, when the reverse was thought to have been ready to unfold, i.e. Bombardier losing the case, that they were going to take their appeal to NAFTA and that they had a better chance there. So... Obviously, what we're, what we've now seen, we don't know if Boeing is going to appeal, but right now, again, Friday as it rolls around, we're going to get a more detailed explanation of why the ITC voted the way they voted. And Boeing, in their statement of last Friday, when the decision was made, they said, well, we're going to review this as it goes. And all they know is that there's been a unanimous vote against them, and now we wait for the final explanation. And, and you, dear listener, probably know already what, what is in that uh, that explanation because this is coming out on Friday. So it's not a total lock done deal. There's still chance that something can change. But with the unanimous vote, it seems kind of unlikely to me. I would say it's all up to what, what Boeing does from here on out. Certainly, the judiciary can act as uh, a check to the executive, either affirming or or shooting down what it was originally going for here. It's you know it's up to the petitioner at this point, and I and, I'm, and I, I confess to not knowing if the precise procedure whether or not the Commerce Department would take this up and, and try to argue this, argue their case in federal court. Also, that might be another wrinkle here, and I and I confess to just not knowing what what the details are. But the bottom line is the precedent has has now been set, and we're going to see what the explanations are. The funny thing that that I think really needs to be kind of remembered here is that. Delta, for its case, paid a certain price for the airplane. Boeing guessed what that price was to create the price dumping allegation. So in in doing so, Delta just told the ITC what they paid. So they, they didn't have to guess. It, you know, so in terms of the information that the ITC had, it was very much, you know, they weren't guessing at, at this dumping. I mean, we know what Sorry, sorry, so we being we know that Delta told the ITC. So the ITC had as close to the full picture as anyone is going to have and probably certainly even more so than what Boeing had and their own crafting of this complaint. So, you know, I, I think there are always more chapters to unfold. None these things rarely are are so clear cut, but it's certainly going to be something that we're going to that we're going to be watching closely for. So, so one of the other things that that came out of the the ITC ruling this week was the speculation of whether or not Bombardier and and Airbus would move forward with the the final assembly line in Mobile for the C series, and and that's something that that both Airbus and Bombardier have said absolutely full steam ahead. We're ready to go. We're making site visits. Let's build the thing, and. And John, where do you see? I mean, there's obviously a lot of of PR behind those statements, but how how true do those ring to you? They ring remarkably true. From everything that I understand about how both Bombardier and Airbus are 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 moving ahead with their planning, I mean, there was ample allegations that this was just for show, just for the ITC gaze, just to get around the tariff, so on and so forth. I mean, the the, the thing that that needs to be remembered about the C-Series is that it suffers from the same problem that every new airplane suffers from. 
sorry, I knew modern airplane suffers from. It's incredibly expensive to build. And when you're when you're a few years late on top of that, it's really, really expensive to get your investment back. So what needs to be sort of taken into account here is not just these tariffs uh, or, or, the, or, the, or the tariffs as, as they were going to be levied for just the U.S. Bombardier needs Airbus to help it essentially leverage its supply chain and, and to get the price to build the airplane down a lot faster if they're going to actually make money on this program. And so they need it for, for sales. So you, so you need to be able to go up and rate. And you need to be able to package a deal all together if you're a supplier or if you're Airbus talking to suppliers that say, hey, well, you know, hey, Pratt & Whitney, well, you know, you, you're, you're on the A320neo and, you, and you're on the C-Series. How about giving us a, a bulk discount, for example? And that just, again, is incentive to bring the, bring the price of the, the cost of the airplane down for Bombardier. So there's a, there's a strategic necessity and a financial necessity to, to move things in this direction that has nothing to do with the ITC. I mean, remember, th- these guys were talking two years ago also. So it's when the the ITC case was a glimmer in in everyone's eyes. The the reason it really fell apart then was because, number one, the company strategically was all over the place, being Bombardier. Their finances were a mess. The airplane wasn't certified. And there were just too many big questions. So, you know, the airplane certified. They've had a significant restructuring. They've got a new CEO. You know, they're looking fundamentally toward trying to get this program to a, a sustainable long-term position. And you and the reality is that the, that new airplanes are it's very, 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 very hard to do that if you don't have a cash cow attached. Again, 320 paying for 350 and 380 and 737 and triple seven paying for 787. The, the you know, we've seen this we've seen this play before. So without the decision with a 300% tariff or near 300%, do you think Airbus would have gotten nearly the deal it did for, from Bombardier where they paid basically $1 for the entire C-Series program? That is a great question. and I don't know the answer. Certainly, the conditions under which the discussions the second time around started as the case was unfolding, but prior to any tariff decisions by the Commerce Department. So the conditions around that, I don't know, is is the most truthful answer. I mean, certainly the necessity to make a deal was high. And regardless of of that structure, certainly Bombardier has wanted to shed this program in some form for a while. I mean, you don't have the buy-in of Quebec, then add in Airbus on top of that, and then Say that you're, you know, shopping around your strategic options for the Q400 and the CRJ, if you wanted to stay in the commercial airplane business. So this was definitely, you know, heading in that direction. I guess the question is, you know, what was the level of urgency and whether or not, in my eyes, one question that I'm wondering is whether or not the price that was offered this time was different from what was going to be hammered out back in 2015. And I don't have an answer for that. So. So let's branch out just a bit, and we, we've kind of looked at where where the C series is going, how Airbus is fitting into this process, and how they're taking over things. But where does this leave Boeing in, in a competitive position uh, against a C series sized aircraft? Because that was the, the idea was that the Boeing argument was that 
the C series is is price dumping, it's being subsidized, and it's killing our market segment for this area. Bombardier's argument all along was that we don't compete against a Boeing product, so there's no possible way we can harm you. But where does this leave Boeing trying to compete in this market? Or or do they not anymore? Well, from a few different perspectives. I mean, the the first one is the is like the immediate term, which is when this decision came down, Bombardier's stock jumped more than 15%. Boeing's were hardly moved an inch or even a centimeter or even a millimeter. I mean, it just it just stayed really really flat. Wall Street never perceived the ITC case certainly from from investor behavior on Friday, never perceived the ITC case to be something that would make or break Boeing. And frankly, a lot of the consensus is that Boeing is better off without it. Because number one, these airplanes don't compete. They do exist in separate markets. And that Boeing was doing harm to its reputation. And when you look at where Boeing is today versus when this case started, I mean, you look at Canada's not buying Super Hornets. They're going used airplanes from from Australia. The UK is reassessing its own decisions about buying from Boeing in the future. They also lost the deal at Delta. That played a role. Not I, I it's it's not entirely clear how much of a role, but I know it for a fact it played a role in how Delta made that decision. So therefore, commercially, that's about that's like ten billion dollars worth of deals. I think actually even more than more than that. If I'm if I'm I think I'm adding the the 320 deal uh, incorrectly here. But bottom line is, this is this this leaves them needing to repair their these relationships. And the fact that this is now over, or at least over for now, allows them to sort of move on with life if they if they decide if they decide to go for it and then an appeal. So here we go. I mean, you know, it it is definitely an open question on hand-to-hand combat for sales because again you've got the Airbus factor in the room you've got a you have a a package deal with 320s 321s CS100 CS300s but then again you also we now see the Boeing and Embraer alliance rising if the Brazilian government allows it to so again you see you know you see this sort of US and Brazil Canada and Europe and UK alliance Sort of facing off in terms of the new the new realities of polar the polar ends of of commercial aircraft marketing. Granted, you also have China and Russia getting together, so you you begin to see this this incredible game taking place, which is nations having to team up with other nations to compete for their strategic industries, which in this particular case are you know, the jetliner business. So, I think we're going to see we're going to see a lot of this. You know, I'm wondering whether or not the argument is made that, well, okay, Airbus and Bombardier getting together is kind of like, well, you know, the other airlines are merging. We need to merge. And that becomes a, a rationale in in Brasilia and and uh, in D.C. as they make these make these decisions. So, again, there the landscape is changing very, very, very rapidly. So, so in reality, there, there's a lot more going on here than you know, just one airplane. Absolutely, this is three dimensional chess in the most in the most direct way, and and, and frankly, you know, I, I think it's one of those things that 
that I'm really interested to see what happens to the E2 sales once it's certified. I mean, I think a, a big bellwether is going to be what happens at Aeromexico because number one, you've got a significant Delta stake in Aeromexico. You've got a C-Series E2 head-to-head going on and Bombardier just lost the ability to deliver Aeromexico airplanes, I don't know, in the spring that would otherwise have been earmarked for Delta. So that's going to be a very interesting competition between the two airplanes. I think it's going to be, it's a bit of a proxy fight for this new world order to some extent. Now, does Aeromexico have any of these scope clause issues that we see with the U.S. carriers that is really hampering the E-2 rollout or is Aeromexico really clear to buy whatever they want? I believe they're clear to buy whatever they want. I'm sure that that one of your listeners is, get, is going to chime in and say, no, 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 there's totally scope clause. I'm I, I almost sure that there isn't. But I worry that I might be mistaken there. I mean, I know they fly the E-190, Aeromexico has the E-190s, but I don't think they, they have the same issues as the U.S. carriers. I don't, I guess that uh, if they don't have any scope clause issues, that opens it up a, a little bit more so than uh, the U.S. carriers. So that will be interesting to see if Aeromexico does pick up the, the E-2 while the U.S. carriers really can't at this time. I mean, Delta can order the, the E-2-190 to fly itself. Or any U.S. airline can buy that airplane, but the regionals can't. So, you know, you see the, the, the divide there. Right, which is kind of funny as American is preparing to uh, phase out its small fleet of E-190s. Exactly. I, I feel like that's an entirely separate podcast where, where <laughs> they, I mean, it's, they're just so – every time we bring up scope claws, my, my eyes just kind of roll back in my head and, and I get the jitters because, I mean, like dealing with that seems like such a big kind of undertaking to to really understand what we're talking about there. So I, I say we leave that for a, for a separate podcast and welcome John back uh, another time. But I, I do want to wrap up now and, and thank John for, for joining us and just kind of, John, where are we heading with the C-Series, do you think in general? And, and do you think we're going to see more orders from, from US Airlines now that now that this tariff is kind of off the table. I know U.S. airlines are very interested in this airplane. When that ruling came down, I spoke with one U.S. airline, uh, senior leadership at at a particular U.S. airline, who was very excited about this turn of events with the ITC. It doesn't preordain an order, but it certainly clears the way, at least politically, to make sure that this is something that they can get if they want it. So I think... Almost by by momentum, we're going to see more orders. I'm very curious how the Delta introduction goes. That's going to be a big test, and we'll we'll, we'll see. I think that's you know if if that really becomes a you know a chasm crusher, so to speak, where you know significantly reduced operating costs versus the seven one sevens, that Delta has really high costs, but they also have really high revenues, even higher revenues. So if it if it really opens that gap up, you may see the behavior changing at, at the other U.S. airlines. So watch that space, of course. John, I want to thank you so much for joining us. It's It's been a pleasure talking to you, and, and it's always good to have you on because I feel like we we get a lot out of our conversations with you because you're you're talking to a lot of people that we frankly don't have access to, to, to pick their brains. And so it's always nice when you can, can bring some of that back to us. So I, I want to thank you for that. My pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. This is always, always a blast. As always, thank you so All much, right, John. Take care. <laughs> 
that was a fun conversation as always. And and I always feel after talking to John that we've we've kind of expanded our horizons and, and thought about some things that, that we hadn't been thinking about before. So it's going to be really interesting to see how all of this plays out. Yeah, it's I, I always feel, feel uh, smarter after talking to, to John and this, this time is <laughs> exactly. certainly no exception. So let's do a quick wrap up of some things that have happened in, in the past couple of weeks that Maybe, you know, not full news, but just kind of interesting little tidbits. The first one, Delta is still taking delivery of their A350s. They grabbed an A380, brand new one, and said, we're going to send it out to the desert. 350, and not A380. I wish. Oh, yes. 350s. That, now, that would be a news story. Yep. Keep going. We're not editing that out. We're keeping that A3, in. Okay. A350s. They took it out to the desert, out to the Mojave. Mike Eisler, who has really the best job, one of the best jobs in aviation, is in a helicopter taking pictures of it air to air. The thing's flying under the helicopter, you know, uh, only 100 feet below. It's flying around the helicopter. The helicopter's hovering over it while it taxis around. It's a really cool thing. We will toss the the combined tracks into the into the show notes and some of Mike's preview videos while we wait for the, the final final pictures to show up good stuff i i'm excited apparently to see. delta just didn't have enough pictures of their 350 from the last time they did this so all the well, power the to last them. time they did it was a 767 300 well they they have photos on on their homepage. it's right there of the a350 so they've done this in the past i, I guess they just wanted more that maybe they wanted video I, I don't know good for them more more uh, more so united had what was it their earnings call this week yeah their uh, yearly wrap-up they announced some things that are interesting in their southwestishness. Yeah. Well, what's happening is they have decided to party like it's 1998 and reactivate a whole bunch of CRJ200s and buy 767s. Uh, unfortunately, they Boeing is not yet reactivating the, the 767 passenger variant, but they are scooping up some 7.6s from Hawaiian that they're actually re- retiring as they replaced their own with the A321neo. So if you like 7.6.7s, good. I know I do. I'd rather be on, on uh, a 7.6 over a, a brand new United 777 any day because the seats are just that much more comfortable. But I'm sorry if you find yourself on a CRJ200, but they feel that they have cut back too many high profit routes that only really these 50 CRJs can can fill. So the CRJ returns. Are these CRJ200s that they've previously parked? Yep. They're just chilling on the ground somewhere. I forget where exactly, but there's an airport literally just full of them ready to go. That sounds like the saddest airport in the world. Yeah. I don't want to see that. I, I think it's also, there's also one E140 that's being reactivated. I I don't know why. One, one just one. It's it's confusing. I know why airlines do certain things will is beyond me. And, Maybe and it was is... a, a special deal: buy forty CRJ two hundreds, get one E140 free. That sounds like the worst deal you could <laughs> ever possibly make. Well, it's what's happening, so deal with it. Oh yeah, I well, I guess I'll just avoid flying any of those. So, do you know what routes they're going to be used on, or is it just kind of a? I believe they're they out in the Midwest for the CRJs. They they were really talking up their Denver hub about the potential 
connectivity out to uh, mountain west cities that they kind of abandoned in the past. So they'll be maybe resuming some routes or upping frequencies. Well, I mean, hopefully that'll be good for for folks that are looking for you know more service and and a lot of airports that lost you know service entirely. So that 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 at least is beneficial there. Win some, lose some. There you go. So speaking of win some, lose some, I'm not sure whether this it, it really depends on how strongly you feel about any of this. But Alaska, a, a formerly and and we'll use this term lightly, I guess, for the past many years now, proudly all Boeing painted their first A320 that they picked up in the Virgin America purchase in the full Alaska livery. Liverly. And it looks livery. good. And it looks good. Yeah. That, that's really all you can say. I am I, I wouldn't go that far. But no, it, it looks good. And there were, you know, of course a lot of strong feelings on on either side, but I honestly think like the, the the strongest feeling that that anyone had was the like okay move on the fiction of the proudly all Boeing airline has kind of really been dropped with this paint job. You're right, it is a fiction. It's been fiction for years. I mean, you book a uh, you book flights on Alaska, you could end up on a CRJ, you could end up on a Dash Eight Q400, you can end up on a E175. In fact. Alaska is starting up service up in, in Everett and they're using E-175s and Boeing's home. So proudly all Boeing is a bunch of nonsense. Proudly all Boeing in the sense that I don't think they've ever purchased mainline aircraft that aren't Boeing yet. Yeah. You really got to dig into the fine print to get the meaning well, I, of that. You know, well, when you paint stuff on an airplane, you can really paint it quite small and true. no one will ever see it. We so then, all see it, Ian. There may be fine print written in white underneath all of that, probably all Boeing. <laughs> Except for all of those other planes. But <laughs> exactly. in all reality, that the I didn't get the, the new interior that Alaska is going to be putting on, but it, it does look good. Yeah, no, and, and it'll be interesting to see how, you know, kind of how the fleet develops and and what they do with the the rest of the Airbus. They're keeping uh, them. They're going to love them. They're, they're, I mean, they have to keep them for a while, but it'll be interesting to see eventually what happens to them and, and where they all end God up. God forbid they diversify and get some more capable aircraft. Oh, oh no. Now you're starting fights and we'll go with podcast at fr24.com. If you would like to argue with Jason about uh well anything but in this particular instance alaska's you know utilization of the 737 and the a320 for a while but hopefully this episode what you've taken away is, is a much deeper understanding of what was going on between bombardier and boeing and and how that's affected basically everyone in the industry i know i got a lot out of our conversation with john and, and hopefully everyone else did too so let us know what you think about, you know, what you think is going to happen with the C-Series and and what you think is going to happen with, with Boeing and, and Embraer and, and Airbus and, and all the things that are happening. Podcast at FR24.com. And you can also find us on Twitter at FlightRadar24 and, and Facebook at, at just the same. And we look forward to your comments as always. So we do love comments. We do love comments. What what do you think? Episode 24. I I thought that was a good one. That that was good. I think there there was some controversy there. We talked about (laughs) my good friend, Akbar Al-Baker. So there there was some good stuff there. You you might see him in a couple months too. Yeah. I I mean, he's probably got some good stuff hiding, waiting, waiting to be released. You never know with him. 
This is true. And if he does release anything or teases anything to be released, we'll talk about it then. This has been episode 24 of AvTalk. I am Ian Pechnik, as always, here with... Jason Rabinowitz, and thank you for listening. And we will talk to you next time. Bye-bye.